0: nowadays it's there's so many services out there that handle scaling for you i I was going to say it's an afterthought but it's more like it's like a forethought it's like something we think about when we choose our services that we build on and then we don't have to think about it again so for example our company is built on firebase and a bunch of google infra and uh, we're actually building our audio video infrastructure on top of zoom's audio video infrastructure that's a super intentional and initially painful decision uh, but it also means that if and as we scale we don't have we don't at all have to worry about scaling video servers or anything like that. I think the harder thing for us to scale has been team. My name is Alexander Marikos, and I'm the co-founder and CEO at Remotion. This is Code Story,
1: a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead. A team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, And today, how Alex and Barricos is building a platform to help you solve problems with fellow engineers remotely. All this and more on Code Story. Alex and Barricos comes from an interesting background, having grown up all over the place, between Asia, the Caribbean, and Switzerland. He came to the States for college and found his way into software after a stint in aerospace, ultimately interested in the intersection between business and building technology. Outside of tech, he loves to play badminton, and when asked what his favorite food was, well, it is his mom's food. After his prior startup failed, Alex still had the urge to build something. He met his now co-founder and they started to explore ways to connect people online. What they noticed was that most video chat tools were created around a presentation, but not around solving problems together. This is the
0: creation story
1: of Remotion.
0: We are basically building a better Zoom for engineers. And the idea is that a lot of the video chat tools we use today, they were built for presenting or for sales pitches. But video hasn't really been built from the ground up to solve problems together as though you're sitting side by side. And so we're building a better Zoom for engineers with the main focus being solving technical problems together. We've actually found our way here through a very messy journey. When we got started, the core insight was the same, but we were building something completely different. And this goes back to me and Charlie sort of doing our research around working together and deciding whether or not to do it remotely. And we felt that there were these two ideas in tension. The first is that Remote work enables you to live and work on your own terms, and that, that meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to Charlie. Being able to work with people from all sorts of other places as opposed to say only people who live in San Francisco it, is super meaningful. It's awesome for the for the employee and it's awesome for the team builder. But the other idea that's in tension with that is that we believe there's magic that's lost when you're not in real life together. I think there are a lot of teams out there that will, will maybe disagree, But I still think that most people get more out of working together in real life. And so, you know, how do we deal with those two things? Like some people like you can see about it in the news today. They're just deciding, well, the magic of working together in person is more important than working remotely. I think our team and the people that we care about and that we serve think that remote work is actually more important. You know, being able to build a strong, diverse team from around the world and being able to work on our own terms is is actually more important. And maybe we can get back some of that magic. The main magic that we think is lost is the fluidity of conversation. When you're in person, just conversations just happen that wouldn't happen otherwise. And yes, you can go and structure the way that your team works together and in, in you know in a very structured and dogmatic way, but that's that's not magical. It's it may be effective you know, but at a slower pace and maybe a less creative pace, but but it's not magical. So we had that core insight when we got started, and I think it's what's carried us through, despite how tough the journey has been in terms of you know, not having product market fit the first time and then not having product market fit the second time. So tell me about the MVP. So that
1: first version of Remotion that you built, tell me about the early days, how long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life?
0: The absolute MVP was actually not even a product we built. It was just trying other tools. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is a common story. We tried a bunch of tools that you've heard of, like, things like Discord and Slack, and maybe some tools that you've never heard of, like a tool called Sneak, which is a quirky thing that takes screenshots of everyone. Their website even jokingly says it'll catch you picking your nose and that'll be funny for your team. So we tried a bunch of these tools and effectively our MVP was, was messing around with other tools to see what they could do. And from there, we realized we had a different take on what a product that would create more fluid conversation would look like. And it would have two features. One, you'd be able to see who's around, and two, you'd be able to very quickly click on them to talk. When we decided to work on this, we'd basically been doing a bunch of customer interviews with different remote team leaders. Funnily enough, we'd been doing those interviews for that product, and we'd been doing the same interviews for a couple other ideas we had at the same time. And we used the sort of our level of conviction around those different customer discovery motions to decide where we would go. And so we ended up choosing Remotion partially on the basis of those interviews and then partially also based off our own gut feel of which problem we had maybe better founder market fit for. And we it turned out we were really passionate about this idea of of having like very fluid conversation, even though you were on a remote team. Now, something we didn't realize at the time is that. Our personal networks were very skewed towards founders and very skewed towards founders of, of, let's say even like smaller teams. The initial product we ended up building was, was super simple and super fast, we got it out to ourselves within a week and then got it out to some other teams within a month or two. It was super simple. All it was is like, see who's online and click on them to talk. And just to give you an idea of how simple it was, if you clicked on someone to talk on that person, it would just immediately start a call without even asking the other person to confirm that they wanted to talk to you. You know, that is completely ridiculous. I, I can't help but laugh now that I think about that, but it made sense at the time because we were only talking to founders. And, you know, t- founders of small homogenous teams don't need as much privacy as as people who are working on larger, more complex, more diverse teams. So we started with that. And again, this is still before COVID. We were, we were testing this thing with, you know, a handful, like maybe a dozen teams. Basically, video chat is really hard. And for some reasons that I can tell you about, if you're interested, we decided to build this thing natively on macOS. And so it was just really hard to get it right. It was super buggy.
1: So tell me about making that decision for building Mac OS, because, you know, I would assume there's there's some trade-offs there. There's some, you know, some things you had to work through in that decision on building on Mac OS. And, and I'm curious how you how you coped with those decisions.
0: So I believe that every hard decision is made for just a single reason above all else. And if you make a decision for like a list of five reasons, you're probably lying to yourself. And so the key factor for us was thinking about how Remotion as a company was going to win. And we believed that we would win on the basis of building the best product, not necessarily building the best product the fastest. And part of our vision was, hey, like, if, you, if you're going to make it really easy to talk to someone when you're working remotely, you can't have to, like, need another tablet to have that you have on your computer. And it can't feel like this like heavyweight zoom call or something that you're hopping into you know like a meeting it has to feel more like you're glancing over at your teammate and so from basically day zero we had this idea of like we're building an operating system upgrade like remotion should not feel like an app it should just feel like it's part of mac os in the same way you have a dock for your mac os applications remotion will give you a dock for the people that you work with and you know in our opinion the people you work with are probably more important seeing whether or not an app is running you know if the app is running so that was honestly the reason we wanted to bake remotion into the operating system and then as for how we coped with uh how we coped with the ramifications i guess the short answer is we just dealt with it because we'd made the decision the longer answer is that it's taken us years to build a team that is truly excellence on macOS. none of us knew macOS when we got started we were kind of just hacking it we definitely got somewhere but as i mentioned the app was pretty buggy in the early days we kind of propagated that mistake by hiring really smart generalists, you know, still working with some of those people and they're they're amazing. But in retrospect, I think we could have done what we did recently earlier, which was hiring experts who know the platform really well. It turns out macOS is a, is a sort of unusual and quirky platform. The people who work on this are, are wonderful, but hard to find. And so that's been the biggest thing, I think, is just hiring experts rather than believing that Um, you know, as generalists, we're just going to figure it out.
1: So, so take me through product progression, where you took it from there, how, you know, how you matured it and how you go about building your roadmap. How do you figure out what is the most, the next most important thing to build or to address with Remotion?
0: The general way that we've been looking at roadmap is from what we're hearing from customers, we have an idea of, of what, what the long-term product that they need is. And so we fi- figure out like, video chat just take, it takes a lot of time to build these things. And so we look at the long-term vision and then we try to break it down into like, what units of this can we ship earlier so that A, we can learn faster and then B, so we can deliver value faster even if it's not the, the overall thing. And This is absolutely nothing new. This is I think what everyone does. I think actually the the more interesting question within that is, well, okay, how do you know what your customers are looking for? and we've changed the way that we find out what customers are looking for many times throughout the company's history so when we got started we were just working with a handful of people we knew and as i mentioned we didn't really recognize how skewed that audience was and we did that for a few months and then covid hit and so we had this product that was still buggy and just built for you know this this handful of people but we we kind of felt even though we weren't ready, both an obligation to put it out there and see if people could use it. And at the same time, we were like, hey, this is a, obviously like, a, a, you know, as bad as COVID is, it's a massive opportunity for the business. So I remember uh, building a self-serve sign-up flow over the period of a, a few days and just dropping it on Product Hunt with absolutely no idea what we were doing and absolutely no idea with like what marketing was or how to do a Product Hunt launch. All of a sudden, the nature of the feedback we were getting changed it changed from these people that we had relationships with who were giving us feedback to a massive sea of people just signing up and then uh you know a self-selecting subset of those people giving us feedback on what was working and what wasn't working and what was interesting is that in those first months after launching on product hunt things were going pretty well it was like a little bit of the startup dream bunch of feedback a lot of that feedback you know customers were saying they loved Remotion. And the things to fix were super obvious. It was just like, hey, you have these bugs. It's like if you do a remotion call and a Zoom call at the same time, your camera breaks until you restart your computer. So I would say that roadmapping then was pretty easy. We were just looking at the most urgent problems to fix. Roadmapping got harder in the fall of that year, though, when we hit what really felt like a ceiling in terms of growth and it started feeling like actually people didn't want our product and you know our product was seeming like a bad idea not only like a neutral idea but a bad idea to a lot of the people we spoke to and you know people weren't retaining people weren't signing up and we looked through as much of the feedback as we could that we were receiving from people and we just couldn't couldn't figure it out i remember at that time actually we made kind of an unusual decision which was we shut down signups and put up a waitlist so that we could use that as a forcing mechanism to get on a call with everyone who was signing up And at that point in time, we would ask them like, why are you here? Why are you signing up for the product? And being able to ask them that before they tried the product was actually super helpful for us because we realized that they were signing up for something different than what we'd built. At that point in time, people were signing up and they were like, yeah, your product looks like very social and friendly. And like, I feel like I want my team culture to be like that. And it's interesting because that's different than what we'd built. We'd built a product that was designed to make calling someone as frictionless as possible. And so that led to the pivot from Remotion 1.0 to Remotion 2.0, which basically was refocusing the company around spending time together socially is kind of like the hardest problem to solve remotely. Interestingly, when you do your signups through concierge calls, you can end up skewing the product you build to be more of a product that works top down because you have the opportunity to personally pitch every single person coming into the company. And so where we are today, even though we're pivoting, is that we actually still have self-serve signups, but we're much more thoughtful about finding ways to get in touch with customers, even though it's self-serve. So let's switch over to team. So
1: how did you go about building your team early days and now, and what do you look for in those people to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you?
0: The first way that we, we built the team is, is uh, somewhat embarrassing. We got a tip from someone that AngelList will host your job descriptions for free, so we just went ahead and dropped our our job descriptions on AngelList. And what we didn't realize is that AngelList would then publish your job description to thousands and thousands of people. I remember, you know, it was like 9 p.m. or something. I just like wrote up these job descriptions, posted them on AngelList, which I I did not think was going to publish them, and then woke up to 350 applicants for this like software engineering role. I'm embarrassed because at the beginning we weren't actually very thoughtful about where exactly we sourced people from we just knew that we didn't want to hire a bunch of people who also lived in san francisco and so we ended up interviewing many of those applicants from AngelList. and i remember being in those interviews first time as a first-time hiring manager feeling very nervous about my ability to evaluate people and very insecure about actually my ability to say no to people and so We managed to find a few people uh, in those early days who are still working with today who are just absolutely amazing. But I would say that was on the basis of luck. That was how we did it in the early days. I will say the one thing that worked really well that we did in the early days is we polarized our recruiting outreach and we polarized our interview loop. So polarizing is, you know, it's a term in poker for, you know, making an outcome either really good or really bad. And so, for example, we would send recruiting emails pre-COVID And the subject line of those was, are you passionate about macOS native apps and remote work? If you're not passionate about either, you're not responding to that email. And most people are not passionate about either. But we got some people who were passionate about both of those things who never respond to recruiting emails to respond to us and to come all the way through the pipeline and start working with us because we were so clear and so focused on what we cared about as a company right we cared about remote work and we cared about building amazing native macOS software and that was something that very few other companies cared about in combination as for building the team i think a lot of what we've done is is fairly standard in terms of building out you know what are your values uh, what are the values for people you're 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 hiring you know, much more robust interview loops, bringing in the entire team to interview everyone and really raising the bar now. So I think the team that we have now is, is absolutely amazing. It's been sort of this like really long, painful effort to learn how to interview and to learn how to say no to people uh, to get to this point.
1: Let's talk about scalability. So this is this will be interesting, given you're you're building a a tool around you know that is installed on the on a Mac, but it is somewhat streaming, somewhat showing people's status, etc. So tell me about scalability. How did you approach that in the beginning? Um, was it built to scale efficiently from day one, or have you been fighting this as you grow and gain traction?
0: I guess we can start with scalability of the product. There's a pretty short answer there, which is, nowadays it's there's so many services out there that handle scaling for you that I, I think for us it's, I was gonna say it's an afterthought, but it's more like it's like a forethought. It's like something we think about when we choose our services that we build on, and then we don't have to think about it again. So for example, our company is built on Firebase and a bunch of Google Infra, and uh, we're actually building our audio video infrastructure on top of Zoom's audio video infrastructure. That's a super intentional and initially painful decision uh, but it also means that if and as we scale, we don't have abs- We don't at all have to worry about scaling video servers or anything like that. That's on the product side. I think the harder thing for us to scale has been team. What we found is that increasing the velocity, especially on macOS, which is a, a platform where it's really hard to find people. We tried hiring generalists to work on macOS as as sort of our first approach to scaling, found that that wasn't very effective. And so now our approach is just to be always on the lookout for excellent people on macOS and bring them in. I guess it's, it's nothing rocket science there. I'm curious to see how this evolves in the future. There are a number of companies, like even Slack, I think, who start with this idea of building a native app because app quality matters above all else. And then at some point when they're in the hundreds, they realize that they just can't hire people. For example, you can't hire new grads who know macOS, and so they switch to cross-platform technology like JavaScript, so they can they can more easily scale the team. Um, I hope we never have to do that. I hope we can always keep the team small, keep it you know small and senior and expert, uh, but frankly, I'm actually not sure that we'll be able to sustain it if we're very successful.
1: Alex, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've
0: built, what are you most proud of? Definitely the team. We just got back from our offsite the energy of the team was just absolutely incredible, and it's it's one of those things. Like as a founder, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm worried about, but you know, when we have this amazing team, and I, I feel like I'm learning from the team every day, it's one of the best things that can give me confidence that we're gonna we're gonna figure something out, um, you know, and, and get things done. I'll call out two things, if I may, that I'm I'm particularly proud of. Towards the end of the offsite, we you know we went around and whenever people were just talking about like what what were they grateful for and. Someone on the team pointed out something. She's the youngest member on the team, and she was saying that uh, in in many environments, there's pressure to assimilate, but in Remotion, there's no pressure to assimilate. That's impossible because everyone is so unapologetically themselves. I really love that, and I think that's that's one of the best things about our team, and I think that is possible with many remote teams, is that you work together as this very close-knit team, but you're from such diverse backgrounds, and you spend a lot of your time with your own communities and your own non-work communities. And so that allows you to like be more of yourself and your own person than being like the work person that is like the same as everyone else who works at your company. So I'm really proud of that. The other thing I'm proud of is, is that despite my own sort of newness as a manager and my own insecurities about how to motivate a team to move quickly, this is honestly something I'm like very nervous about. Like what is the right level of urgency and stuff to create? I feel like the team just has not like an inbuilt sense of urgency and we were at this offsite organizing all these team building activities and three quarters of the team basically are like, okay, this is great, love the team building. Can we get back to like building what we need to build? And that was such an unexpected experience for me, but uh, an incredibly rewarding one. Let's flip the script a little bit.
1: Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team
0: responded to it. The most impactful mistake we've made was overestimating our amount of product market fit about a year ago, and then operating as though we had that product market fit for, for quite a long time, almost a year. From a human perspective, we actually did a s- small amount of layoffs a few weeks ago. and That's definitely the hardest thing I've had to do in my career. And I think that the, the reason that we had hired people who we didn't need to have on the team was because we'd overestimated our product market fit. So the impact, obviously very severe, and also severe in terms of just wasting time continuing to build the wrong thing, when in fact we should have been taking a harder look at our foundation. I mean, in short, I, I think that we dealt with it following one of our company values, which is just to be kind and candid, we're, we're a very transparent company. And so it was one of these mistakes where maybe various people were feeling that we were overestimating our product market fit, but we were still sort of disagreeing and committing to the course of action that we'd chosen. And then at some point as that that feeling built, we decided to we being i paused and decided to hit, like take a hard look at our amount of product market fit and so a few of us hit pause on our normal work and went and did a bunch of surveying we basically opened our minds and said okay we're we're going to go see like where we have deep sustained value we realized that we have that value within engineering teams and we realized that it was opposite like it's 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 like a full circle back it was actually teams getting value for getting work done together, not for socializing. And so we, we built all these features that we didn't need anymore. The team initially was super nervous. We kind of did this this interesting process of like an accelerating accelerated startup journey where we already have this amazing team and we already have a ton of customer relationships. So a lot of those early phases of figuring out like which audience do you wanna serve? What value can you solve for them? How can you reach them? We kind of already had the basis of all of those. And so over the past few months, we've, we've been rebuilding rebuilding our our foundation for what we're doing as a company Um, and I think initially it was it was pretty nerve-wracking as a leader and a lot of the team was was worried about where that would take us but what I found is that although we're starting from a lower point like the slope of improvement at the company is so much steeper now because of that foundation that um, it's it's already feeling like it was the right call and um, we're in a better place than we were before.
1: Okay, this will be super fun, especially given some of our conversations already. What does the future look like for the product and for your
0: team? So long-term, the core insight behind Remotion is the same, that there's some magic that's lost if you're remote, but remote is still worth it. Right now, we're building a better Zoom for solving technical problems, but in the long run, we want to grow from solving for just engineers to solving for engineers and designers and people who work together, and basically eventually just for for knowledge workers in general. So the future is, is still similar to what we were thinking a year or two ago, building this really highly crafted, amazing tool to use that makes working remotely feel a little bit more like you're sitting next to each other. In the near term, we're actually ignoring all our like weekly active user count graphs and like daily user count graphs and sign up graphs and all of that. And our go- our next goal is to have literally 10 design partners who love Remotion, who use it every day and who see Remotion spreading within their companies. Like if you were in on a on a document that i was circulating today it literally like is talking about hey what is the spec for the first thing we're going to give to our first design partner in january completely different time the 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 future is completely different now from what it would have been a year ago
1: okay alex who influences the way that you work name somebody you look up to or multiple persons or or something you look up to and why
0: Honestly, we're, we're still so small as a team that every time we hire someone, I feel like we're choosing someone who we want to be more similar to. It's kind of like we're, we're, we're looking at these new hires not as people who are joining our culture, but who we want to... we kind of want to move our culture in their direction. So for example, we hired a designer recently who I look up to a lot, and he's been you know respectfully rejecting a lot of the process that we have in terms of how we build. I actually love it because I'm realizing uh, through working with him that actually some of that process is unnecessary and so we should cut it. So my answer is, uh, the people who influence how we work, honestly, it's just like every new hire and we actually treat new hires as, as influences. We think of them in that way proactively.
1: Okay, Alex, we talked about a mistake earlier and you're your answer makes sense, but this is a little different spin. Uh, maybe not a mistake, but if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do
0: different or where would you consider taking a different approach? so many places, but maybe I could take us back all the way to the beginning when, when I started working on the gaming company. The mistake that I made then, and that I would do differently, is I didn't realize how important it is to really care about your customers as people. I can go through as many hard periods of the company, as many pivots as you want, etc. Like, I can do all of that if I enjoy every time I talk to a customer, and if I care about serving them as people. That's what's kept me going now. It's also what kept me not going when I was doing the gaming company that, that only lasted less than a year. And, you know, boils down to, I didn't really enjoy, to pe- enjoy talking to people who were in the video gaming mindset about my company. It just, it wasn't like a good conversation for me. It's good for other people. And so, you know, because talking to customers was painful and because I didn't really care about the problems that they had, uh, that didn't last long. So thing I would go back and do differently is make sure that anytime I'm, I'm you know, thinking about investing years of my life behind something, make sure I care about the person whose problems I'm trying to solve.
1: Okay, last question, Alex. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
0: I would love to just give them the advice I just shared, like the you know make sure you care about your customer i i honestly think that's one of my biggest takeaways um if i had to give them another piece of advice that is perhaps also a cop-out answer would be don't listen to me like a lot of the times uh you know people will like pitch ideas and if they jump straight into the pitch i always ask but like do you care what i think like am i actually the person that you're trying to solve the problem for if this person on the plane was going to pitch me that i would certainly be concerned about that and i'd be like okay is, are you building a service for for founders at my stage or for people who like badminton no,
1: oh, that's fantastic advice. Okay, Alex, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for telling the creation story of Remotion. Pleasure. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.
2: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone.